Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of firstfruits of all he created. Amen. Father, may your words find a home in our hearts and our lives. May we not just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. May we recognize that you speak to us in love and with authority this morning. May we listen with expectation and anticipation. May we receive your words with gratitude and with joy in Jesus. It is in his name that we offer these our prayers. Amen. Well, it's a, an important week in the Murphy household this week. It's Gracie's birthday in five days' time. So as things stand, Grace is three years old, and Katie is nine years old. And Katie is a good big sister, uh, most of the time, nearly all of the time, but sometimes she forgets about the age difference and the size difference between her and her wee sister, Grace. So sometimes we have to say to Katie, remember that your sister is only three. Sometimes she's a bit rough in her play with grace. And it's fine if we say that, but what we must take care never to say is this. Remember, Katie, that your sister is only a wee girl. Because when we do that, we uh, have grace putting us in our place. We have a grumpy grace. Grace will turn to me with a kind of righteous in, in, indignation <laughs> in her face, and she'll say, I am not a wee girl, Daddy. I'm a big girl. I'm nearly four. It's funny how every child wants to grow up. If they are three, they want to be four. If they're four, they want to be five. If they're five, they want to be six, and so on and so forth, until you get to a certain age. We had a discussion about this at the prayer meeting on Wednesday. I thought it was 21. 
some think it's 16. You get to a certain age and all of a sudden you don't want to go forward anymore, you want to go back. But when you're young, when you're a child, you always want to be that bit older than you are. You look forward to growing up. When we are born into this new life that Christ gives us, when we turn to Him and trust in Him, when we are born again, we ought to be like that. Of course, we have to keep our childlike sense of wonder and trust. But we ought to want to mature, to grow in grace and in godliness, to become more like Jesus, to put our roots down deep, to be all that Christ calls us to be as we move on in this journey with Jesus. Peter says, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Paul says, one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. But it's the book of James that we have been uh, journeying through recently in our morning services. And James says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And if you have that hunger inside, that hunger to grow in godliness, that hunger to become more mature, that hunger to become more like Christ Jesus, then the book of James will be of great help in that journey to that end. Now that James has addressed trials, he, he moves on in our passage this morning to address temptations. I wonder if you see the connection between trials and te temptations. Every trial offers temptations, doesn't it? Imagine that you have been wronged, not just wronged, but wronged unjustly, wronged unfairly, wronged for nothing more than being a man or woman of integrity. James would say to you, consider it pure joy, dear brother or dear sister. Consider it pure joy that this has happened to you. This will test your faith. And the testing of your faith will produce perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work so that you will be mature and complete, not lacking anything. But that's not all that James would say. James would address not only the opportunity to move forward through this trial, but also the danger of falling back. Every trial offers temptation. So imagine again that someone has wronged you, it's unjust, it's unfair, 
What do you do in that moment? Maybe you pray. Maybe you say, Father, help me. Help me to grow through this. Help me to grow in grace. Let me learn how to love, even here, even him, even her. Maybe that's what you say. Or maybe you might find yourself saying, I am going to make him pay for what he has done to me. She will regret the day that she messed with me. Every trial offers temptation. Imagine you have trial after trial. They just keep coming. You're almost through one and another one comes along. And the pattern just continues day after day, week after week, month after month. And you think, is there no end to this? What do you do? Maybe you say, Father, help me in the midst of these trials. They seem so relentless. They seem so unfair. I feel so exhausted, but help me to grow, to mature, to progress in my journey with Jesus, to become more like the Lord I love. Maybe. Or maybe you might give up and walk away. Maybe you might find yourself saying, this is not what I signed up for when I came to faith in Christ. This is not how I imagined the Christian life would be. Alec Motyer says, the same circumstances which are on the one hand opportunities to go forward, on the other hand are temptations to go back. We all know only too many people who have ceased to walk with God under the pressure of trouble or tragedy. The call to endure was abandoned in favor of the suggestion to give up. Every trial, he says, is also a temptation, which lends itself to two questions. Firstly, if trials always bring temptations, can we then say that it is God who is tempting us? James, in the passage that we read, tackles this question head on. He has a, a robust doctrine of God. We should all have a robust biblical doctrine of God that will save us from many pitfalls. And he puts this robust biblical doctrine of God to good use. Verse 13, he says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does God tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. Don't blame it on God, says James. If you give in to temptation, then it's your own responsibility. Second question, who are those who will endure? Who will, who will be able to resist these temptations, to not give up, to not fall away, but to grow and to grow and to grow and to get to that point where they receive the crown of 
of life from the Lord that James speaks of in verse 12. Who are those people? We might be tempted to think that it's those who have ultra-strong sticking power, strong willpower. I was speaking to someone outside the school gates not that long ago, and uh, I was bleary-eyed, so tired. To me, this was first thing in the morning, and I was speaking to him, and he says, how's your morning been? I said, "Eh, fine, how's yours been? He says, I've had a couple of hours at the gym. Uh, I'm nearly where I want to be, uh, so it's been a good morning. And I thought, how? How do you have the strength to get out of your bed at that time in the morning, to get down to the gym, to get back, to get showered, to get your children to school in time? How do you do it? Maybe that is the type of person who endures, the type of person who has that kind of stoical, stiff upper lip, just get on with it, just keep going. Maybe you think, well, that's not me. I... I gave up in my New Year's resolution, you know, about, about two weeks into January. What makes the difference? Who are those who will persevere? Well, verse 12 itself tells us who will persevere. It tells us those who will get the victor's crown, those who will hear their master's voice saying, well done, good and faithful servant. Blessed, says James, is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love Him. That's what matters. That's what will see you through. That's what will stop you from giving up and walking away when the going gets tough. Those who love Him, do you love Him? If you do love Him, pray that you would love Him all the more and do the things which strengthen that love that you have for your Lord. James goes on to describe what desire does when we allow it to drag us away, it gives birth to sin. And sin leads to death. So we all have desires, and that's okay. That's no bad thing in and of itself. But those desires should be under the authority of our will. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So we have desires, but those desires must be under the authority of our will, and our will must be, be under the authority of Christ Jesus, our Lord. You might remember Guy Finney preaching some time ago, and he had it all kind of written out on a, a PowerPoint on the screen. It's very helpful. So we might think of it as being in a, a car journey, We all have desires, but the desires must never get into the driver's seat. If we are in the driver's seat and our desires are in the back seat, then that's fine, as long as Christ is giving the directions. 
But if our desires get into the driver's seat, and we find ourselves in the back seat, then they will lead us, they will drive us deep into sin. Who is in control? Who is in the driver's seat? Think of myself maybe in the study working on the sermon for Sunday. And I know that there's a pack of chocolate digestives in the cupboard downstairs. And I'm good. I can tiptoe down. I can go into kind of stealth ninja mode and have half of that bag gone in no time. Who's in control? Who's in the driver's seat? It may not be chocolate digestives. It might be the desire to gossip, the desire to get revenge, the desire to satisfy any number of ungodly lusts. Our desires are so good at deceiving us. They will give you a million reasons as to why we should listen to what they have to say. But we are Lord over our desires. So when they tell us how important it is that they are fed, we must remember that we are Lord over our desires and Jesus is Lord over us. That's the order. The problem is that we often think that we can give in to our desires and yet still be in control of them. We think that we can play games with sin, not realizing that these desires, when given free reign, will lead us deeper and deeper into this darkness of sin, deadness to God, deadness to the life that we ought to be living with God and for God. I've told the story before of my sister-in-law's friend. It's a true story. Steph's friend had a pet snake. I don't know what the snake's name was, so I'm going to call the snake Sammy the snake. So my sister-in-law's friend goes into a shop with her own money and buys Sammy the snake, cute me snake, takes Sammy the snake back to her house, feeds the snake, looks after this snake, nurtures this snake, cares for this snake in every way imaginable. And it grows and it grows and all seems well. She loves this snake, Sammy. And then Steph's friend starts to notice that Sammy is behaving in a strange manner. She wakes up in the morning and Sammy the snake is lying in her bed beside her. And not only that, but Sammy the snake is, is lying in a kind of straight line right alongside her. She thinks, that's a bit strange. Maybe it's just a phase. Maybe Sammy the snake will grow out of this. So she doesn't do anything about it for, I don't know, a few days or a few weeks. And it, but it just keeps on going on and on and on. So she takes Sammy the snake, whom she loves, whom she is cared for, whom she has uh, fed and nurtured for all those years. She takes this snake to the vet, and the vet says, I've got good news and I've got bad news. She says, the, the good news is your snake is fine. The bad news is your snake wants to eat you. And that's why 
Sammy the snake is, is lying in the bed beside you. It's, it's measuring itself against you. And when it thinks it's bigger than you, it's going to try and eat you. And so in that moment, Steph's friend had the decision to make. It's either me or it's Sammy the snake. And that for me is an almost perfect picture of sin. When we take it into our homes, when we feed it, when we nurture it, no matter how cute, no matter how attractive it looks, no matter how much we might love it, no matter how much we might think that we are in control, by its very nature, it will grow and its desire will be to consume us, to destroy us. Be ruthless in putting sin to death. Even better, keep your desires in their rightful place, knowing that if you let them rule over you, they will give birth to sin, and all that sin wants to do, no matter what it may look like, no matter how attractive it may seem, all that sin wants to do is to steal and to kill and to destroy. Choose life over death. Choose light over dark in the big things of life, and also in the everyday decisions that you make, which make you who you are. Jesus said, the thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Choose life and light, not death and darkness. Which leads us into the last section of our passage this morning. We have lights in the sky, don't we? James says, verse 17, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights. We know those heavenly lights. We have the sun, we have the moon, we have the stars. We have these lights in the sky. but they are always moving, casting shadows. Sometimes they are there, sometimes they are not. Sometimes they are bright, sometimes they are less bright. Sometimes they are hidden, and sometimes they are apparent. God is always there, always shining, always brilliant in his glory and in his holiness and in his purity and in his love. And this God is the God who is good. He is the God who gives. Every good and perfect gift is from him. Ultimately, we might work to earn, to get stuff, but he's the one who gives us life and gives us health and gives us strength and gives us the opportunity. Every good and perfect gift is from him ultimately. And so I'm conscious that this message may seem very negative. Don't do this, don't do that, don't give in to your desires, don't give in to sin, don't eat the chocolate digestives. You may go out feeling down. Well, nothing should be further from the truth. Because to say no to the bad is to say yes 
to the good. It's not to lead to a life of emptiness. It's actually to lead to a life of fulfillment. Remember what Jesus said? I read it just a moment ago. The thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. This is not an empty life. Saying no to that which seeks to destroy you does not lead to emptiness. It leads to fullness of life, fullness of joy, fulfillment, purpose, peace. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. God the Father gave us Jesus while we were still His enemies, while we were still loving darkness and heading for death. He shone brightly into our lives. He opened our eyes and He drew us to Himself through the Lord Jesus Christ. He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also along with Him graciously give us all things? So God is not towering above us, uh, wanting us to be miserable by not doing this or not doing that. He wants us to say no to the things which will hold us back, which will keep us down, in order that we might say yes to the things which will cause us to grow and to mature and to flourish and to bear fruit, to be the people that we are created and called to be in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The New Century Version translates verse 18 like this. God decided to give us life through the word of truth so we might be the most important of all the things He made. We matter to Him. He loves us. The lives that we live matter to Him. Maybe I could sum up this message by saying, be holy as He is holy. It is true and lasting joy. It is true and lasting fulfillment and peace. It is what the Bible calls blessedness. And here is the life that leads to the crown of life that God has promised to those who love Him. May each of us receive that crown on that day from His good and gracious hand. Let's bow our heads and humble our hearts in His presence as we pray together. Father, we thank You for Your love for us, Your children. Show us in love anything that needs to change in our lives in the light of Your Word to us today. And strengthen us, Father, in the grace of Christ Jesus, our Lord. Cause us to grow in godliness, to be people of light and life, people who triumph over temptation, 
people who point to a better way and to a better Lord and to a higher joy in the Lord Jesus Christ. For the cause of Christ's kingdom, for the honor of your name, and for the joy of your people, we pray. Amen.